welcome everyone um, to our gathering. Like Josh said, um, I think Kevin said it too, but this is our first one that we've done um, in, in 15 months. So I, I feel like that's kind of crazy to even think about and fathom uh, just how much time has gone by um, for us to be able to do this. Um, tonight, I, I don't really have much to share um, but there are a couple thoughts I have uh, that I want to share that aren't necessarily maybe my message this evening, but uh, just some thoughts that I got uh, in, in worship uh, just now. Uh, can we give it up for the worship team as well? They drove like, I don't know, they, they were supposed to get here at 5, they came at 6. Uh, I don't blame them, I blame post-pandemic traffic. Uh, they came from Queens, uh, but thank you guys for leading. Um, but just a couple thoughts that I have, and uh, we'll, just, we'll just go from there um, this, uh, tonight, and, um, and just some thoughts for us here. I, I think during worship, one of the thoughts that was really impressed upon my heart is how incredible it is that God can make much with sinful people, that God could do so much with broken vessels, that uh, I think... You know, I was just so amazed as we we're just talking about his holiness and his goodness, his greatness, where only a person who's so secure in who they are don't worry about their reputation. And obviously there's no one more secure than God, right? Where he's not worried about his reputation on who he's seen with, uh, who he parties with. I mean, in the Bible, he's hanging out with sinful people, so much so that the rumor about him is that he's a drunkard, he's a sluggard based on uh, who he's with and everything like that. But yet, he's not so much concerned about his reputation or how people might perceive him because he knows who he is and how good he is, how great he is in his holiness that he doesn't require us to be holy in order for him to come to us. Right? Holiness isn't a prerequisite from the Lord in order for him to meet us. It's the outcome. Right? It's the joy, it's the gift, it's the, the process of becoming, but yet we, we have this misconception about God that uh, only when we have everything in line and we clean ourselves up first and we jump through different hoops and check off certain lists or we're able to you know, present a, a checklist of a clean record, then he might come and bless us, but yet I don't see that in Scripture at all where it's the woman caught in adultery, not the woman who's gone through counseling and, and you know, has lived the life of uh, a celibacy and chastity. Then she comes. No, she's literally caught in the middle of adultery. It's not uh, the leper who's gotten treatment and has gotten you know, physical therapy. I don't even know if you do physical therapy for leprosy, right? But you know, that has gone through this process and healed and bandaged up and looks clean and, and fresh-shaven. Then he's presented. No, they're just as they are in the middle of their brokenness, and yet that's who Jesus comes. And he doesn't care what other people might think or, or anything like that, yet he meets them, and, and he's able to reveal himself to people in that way. And I just want to share that because I think as we move into what God has for us, we just have to follow his heart. I think even as we were preparing for our, this gathering, you know, it feels rusty. We, 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 you know, our team was like, how do we do this again? We don't know what to do. You know, it's been so long. And uh, one of the thoughts, you know, I share this in pre-service prayer is 
Jesus' promise to us is simply where two or three are gathered, he's there. And as we're wanting his presence to come for a gathering like this, whether there's few, whether there's many, we didn't have to jump through hoops. We didn't have to beg him. We didn't have to bribe him. How many of you have bribed God in prayer before? I know I have. God, if you will do this, then I promise I'll wake up at 5 a.m. for morning prayer, you know, or I'll even fast this week if you'll just do this for me. And yet, God doesn't ask that of us. We don't have to burn sacrifice. We don't have to check off a list or anything like that. As soon as we just gather, He comes. So once again, there's the holiness of God that makes much of sinful, broken people But not only that, it's the faithfulness of God that makes much of small mustard seed-sized faith. Right? He doesn't require much faith. Even if it's a little that we have, as long as we move in that direction, I think there's something in his heart where he says, I got the rest. Right? Bill Johnson says this, it's the faithfulness of God on your life that looks like faith. And I think even as we, you know, are trying to regather here, Uh, and trying to come back and and do this again, uh, I'm I'm kind of reminded of what it was like when Pursuit first had our gatherings here in this place. I think it wasn't many more people than this, right? Like, it was literally the size. And I remember in those moments, I guess years ago now, where I would be outside, and and, and Jayung would would so graciously lead worship for us, and he'll ask me, Sam, when are we starting? I'm like, 10 more minutes. But it's like, it's 7.30, though. I'm like, hey... Let's just wait 10 more minutes. Who knows who might come? And I remember, you know, just being honest, just being so worried about the numbers or who's coming and, and whatnot. And, and yet, as we try to regather here, I just feel this confidence from the Lord where as long as it's what he calls us to do, that's our confidence. It's not popularity. It's not the results. It's not the fruit, but the confidence in what he has asked us to do. And he's not asking us to have big, grand faith, but even small faith he can make much of because he's faithful. So with that, I just want to read this thought, and I'm going to tie it in together, or maybe I won't, who knows. But First uh, Kings chapter 18, you don't have to turn there, you can make a mark of it, but you know, this is Elisha, uh, you know, with the J, Elijah, um, living in a time of a wicked king, right? depending on where you line politically, this current president or the former president will fit this bill, right? I won't say anything more than that. But he's living in this, you know, uh, tumultuous political climate uh, of whoever the leader is at the moment. And not only that, there is a drought. And it's a drought that has lasted for over three years. And it's in, in that midst of, you know, uh, compromise with false prophets and chaos in the nation and, and physical uh, or natural disasters, uh, verse 41 you know, I just, we'll just pick up from there. And it says, Elijah said to Ahab, who's the king, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told the servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elisha said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. I mean, what if he stopped at the sixth time? And what if by that moment he said, maybe this really isn't going to work. 
Maybe there's nothing happening. Maybe there is no breakthrough on its way. There's something in that moment where he decided to press on, but look at the result. It wasn't a storm right away. It was the cloud the size of a man's hand. And yet that was enough. Check this out. Uh, verse, uh, continuing in uh, verse 44. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. There's something about a faith in God where you are able to move and run and declare that a storm is coming, even if the size of the cloud is no bigger than a man's hand. I, I kind of feel that in this moment as we're trying to regather here again, it looks familiar like our, our, our initial gatherings that we've done years ago, but yet there's a different confidence in there because I feel like God is saying, this is what I've asked you to do. Right? This is what I've called you to do. And, and I just had this so, uh, strong conviction where it wasn't a man-made idea for us to do this gathering. You know, there's a lot of question marks You know, we just shared and announced how our conference is coming up. And if I can be honest with you, this is probably the hardest conference to to plan and schedule because there's so many things in limbo with coming out of a pandemic, coming out of this season. And yet we know that this idea isn't man-made, it's a mandate from heaven. And if God has called us to do it, Once again, he's not asking us to be perfect. He's not asking us to have the greatest faith on earth. But whatever we have, are we willing to present it and come to the Lord as we are trusting that he is who he says he is? That he will do for us what he said he would do. So with that in mind, turn with me to Luke chapter 5, verse 1. And I just want to continue this thought, just continue this idea of God makes much of sinful people because he's holy. And God makes much of small faith because he's faithful. And he's asking for people who will step out in faith based on his word. So Luke 5, verse 1, it says this, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. The New King James Version says this, launch out into the deep. Launch out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't cut, caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Amen. Let's pray, and we'll head into uh, whatever this message is tonight. God, I just thank you so much for... 
my brothers and sisters that are gathered here tonight. I thank you for their hunger. I thank you for their faith. God, I pray that they will leave with so much more than they came expecting because they didn't hear a good message. They didn't hear a nice song, but they encountered the living God. So, Lord, we give you this time. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, like we said, it's been 15 months since our last gathering. And as we're here in this moment, um, you know, just reminded of our initial gatherings, like I said. And one thing that I've heard and noticed in in different conversations that I've had, uh, listening to different messages, I was talking to one pastor who uh, was talking to different, you know, counselors and, and professionals in that field. And according to her, she said that a lot of them believe based on what all of us have experienced this last year with the pandemic, with 2020, all the social uh, injustice, the unrest, the, the politics of it all, every single thing that people are experiencing PTSD, like every single person. Uh, any, any experience that prolongs longer than six months that takes you out of your norm, out of your rhythm, it develops this thing within you that is similar to PTSD. I was listening to another sermon uh, online, um, and according to him, you know, he was talking to other national leaders, global leaders, literally, and according to the experts that they've talked to and conversations that they have with different leaders and, and counselors and, and, and you know, experts in their field, they believe that it's going to take about 10 years for us to kind of pivot back to normal. I mean, think about that. Like, that's what this past experience has been like. But I remember when 2020 came, we were all excited, you know. Who was like, new decade, new me, right? Because, you, you know, it's no longer new year, but it's new decade, new me, please God, right? Like, this past decade was awful or whatever. We had so many expectations, so many dreams, so many plans. Uh, I know for us, coming into 2020 as a ministry, we had our conference in 2019, and we just felt like God was going to launch us into something new. We felt like we had momentum. We experienced God do crazy things, uh, crazy testimonies, and yet all of a sudden, it all came to a halt because the entire world came to a halt. Things that we wanted to do, we couldn't do. We had to change. Uh, We had to limit things. Every building shut down. Churches went online. Some struggled. Some might still be struggling, right? But that was just kind of what all of us went through and experienced collectively because it was a global pandemic, obviously, right? We know what it's like. And I believe it's in this place where we're trying to now navigate out of it into what God has for us. And I'll be honest, all of us are not sure how to do it well, right? There are, we have a lot of you know, pastor friends and leaders where a lot of them are struggling. I know a lot of them have contemplate wanting to quit, throw in the towel, leaving ministry. I mean, some have, right? Because they're tired, they're burnt out, they're frustrated. Other leaders have uh, um, left ministry because of scandals. I mean, it's been a crazy year. And yet it's in this moment where we're trying to find our footing again, uh, having not knowing what to do. And I just want to give a word of encouragement that even in this moment, there's grace. Right? Like God has seen this before. So even you know, global ministries that we as a ministry look up to, they have all the resources, literally a million followers on social media, and yet even they feel like they have to rebuild. 
Right? Even they're not sure how to do this well because everything shut down, everything changed. The pandemic made it a, a le- uh, uh, an equal level playing field because it didn't matter how big your church was. It doesn't matter how big your budget is. Every single person was feeling the effects of this past year. Now, when I read this passage in Luke chapter 5, I feel like what Peter and his buddies might be feeling is similar to that feeling of frustration. Because they spent all night fishing and they caught nothing. They've exhausted all their options. They're frustrated by the results. They're cleaning up their nets, hoping for a better day. That's where they find themselves in this moment, where I think all of us can relate to that to last year. Frustrated by the results. We've exhausted all our options. We did what we are called to do. We know what we're experts into. I mean, these are fishermen, right? This is their livelihood. They've done this since they were kids. Their fathers have done this before them and their fathers' fathers before them. And yet this is where they find themselves. And yet Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And we have to notice here where the kindness of God isn't asking so much from them right away. Look at the first thing he says to them. He says, put out a little. Right? Put out a little. Later he'll say, put out into the deep, launch out into the deep. But he starts slowly because he's wanting to encourage us to walk with us in this process. So the first step is he comes to us. He meets us in our frustration. He meets us in our disappointment. He meets us in that place of failure. And yet he says, put out a little. From there, Jesus teaches And then he gives them some word of advice on what to do, which is throw your nets to the deep. Now, to give some context here, for fishermen at the Lake of Gennesar or or the Sea of Galilee, that's not how you actually catch fish there. The way you would catch fish is you would fish at night, which is what they've done, because it's in that moment where the fish come to the shore and then they feed at night. The nets that they used, it was made out of linen. So if you try to use it during the day, uh, they say that the fish would actually see and know what to avoid. So by daytime, people are all over the coastline. So the fish uh, you know, are all over the place. But late at night, they come closer to the shore to feed. It's dark. They can't see. And that's where you would catch fish. But yet Jesus is telling these experts to do the very opposite of what they've been trained to do. Right? It doesn't make sense. Once again, Jesus is a carpenter. Right? If you're going to say Savior, you're holy, right? But he was a carpenter. He's not a fisherman by trade, but he's telling people where he's not an expert on at all, on what to do. And yet Peter's response is this, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Right? They did all the right things. They did everything they were supposed to do. They they did everything that they knew to do, yet it didn't produce the result, but yet they're willing to do the very opposite at the opposite time because Jesus said so. I think in this moment, as we try to navigate through whatever this pasture was and what's ahead of us, I believe he's asking for people who will go against convention, not because they're trying to be innovators, not because they're trying to be creative, but if that's what God has called you to do, Will you do it? Even if it defies logic, even if it defies reason, even if it defies what you know what to do, if he says so, will you still do it? I think that's what he's looking for in people in this moment. Right? This is 
what they're doing. And once again, I feel like 2020 is that. It's us struggling through the night. It's struggling through the darkness. It's struggling on not knowing how to navigate this well. But yet in the day, right, I just want to declare that in faith right now, that it's a new day. Amen. That it's a new era. That they've struggled and failed in the darkness. But I want to even reframe that in this moment right now. Where in, I believe last year was really a training ground to prepare us for what's to come. It was really a time of stretching. I mean, if you've wanted to quit in 2020 at any moment and you're still here, congratulations, you've passed the test. Like, like honestly, because I really believe God is stretching us because every single leader I've talked to, they went through it this past year. And, and, and I remember having a conversation with one of my friends where we're talking about all of our mutual friends that's literally feeling the strain and the stress and the pressures and frustrations of ministry in 2020 where, you know, some of them, like, their livelihood is, you know, itinerant speaking. Every engagement gets canceled. You really have to trust the Lord. You're really stretching that moment. And he, and he said something where, he said, Sam, if everyone is feeling this, it must be because God is up to something. Like, he's up to something. And I think in those moments, he was developing the leaders for such a moment as this, where we pass through a test like that, where we're willing to hold on to God in those moments, and yet he's going to give us new direction for a new day. Right, but only those who chose to stick by him, right? It's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. And I think in that moment when you want to quit, right, he's going to give you that new word as long as you don't quit. But here is where Jesus comes with the message uh, or the direction. It's when they're done doing what they've done. They're cleaning their nets, right? And it's in that moment where they have to unpack everything that they've packed. Like, anyone, like, hates stuff like that? For me, you know, I, I think people, you know, think I lift because of my shoulders, but I don't lift, right? Last time I lift, my shoulder popped out, so I'm like, I just don't go anymore, right? But the only time I'm really strong is after I go grocery shopping, right? After I go grocery shopping, I try to take every single bag at once, like, my pinky's about to fall off because I have, like, three bags on my pinky, you know what I mean? Because I hate going back and forth. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't want to do that more than once. It's one trip only to my car and back. I try to, like, close my trunk with, like, my knee if I have to, right? Because I don't want to go back and forth. And yet here is, what, do you say come on to that, right? Someone, someone agrees with me. Come on, right? And yet here's Peter, once again, just to give some context. Once again, he's finished for the day. He's packed everything. He's cleaned the nets He's frustrated already. He's disappointed already. And yet he has to undo all of it. That's like 30 trips back and forth to the car, right? Like that's what he has to do in that moment. But once again, what makes him do it? It's not because he's like, that's good advice. It's sound advice. But it's because the Lord said so. I'll do it. So let's continue reading. He does it. And they catch such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. I mean, I think oftentimes when we want blessing, we don't understand the pressure of what that really is. Like we want the breakthrough, but not the breaking. I mean, that's literally what they're experiencing. They're experiencing the breaking where they have to call their friends to come. But once again, they have so much fish, such a miraculous catch where the ship or, or their boat is sinking from the catch. I mean, think about how crazy that is. I don't think I've ever seen a boat sink because of so many things on it, right? The Titanic sank, but not because of 
the people in it, right? Like, that's a different thing. But yet they find themselves in that moment. And look at Peter's response. I mean, he experiences what he's wanted, and even more so. Because once again, he's a fisherman. Like, what fisherman wouldn't want a catch like that? Like, he gets what he's wanted and even more. But when he does, look at his response. He says, when Peter, verses verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I think if, as we're navigating through this past season, I think all of us have prayed big prayers before, right? We've prayed prayers, God, use me or bless my ministry or, or help me in school or be with me in my job. Help me be the salt, help me be the whatever it might be. God shows up and then some. But when push comes to shove, oftentimes, can we be honest? We don't really want that. We don't really want it because we're even willing to reject the very thing we prayed for because we feel unworthy. And that's where Peter is. I mean, he got what he wanted. He obviously went fishing the night before because he wanted to catch fish, right? He got what he wanted and then some, and yet he's even willing to reject it because he feels so unworthy. I think God wants to help us get beyond ourselves. Like get over ourselves of how worthy we are, whether we have it all together. Once again, because it's the holiness of God that makes much of broken people and the faithfulness of God that makes much of small faith. So look at Peter's response. He says, away from me, I'm a sinful man. But look at what Peter does. He falls at Jesus's knees. Isn't that like weird? I love the Bible because it gives you so many like, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Colorful illustration of what's happening. I think in Mark it says Jesus slept on a pillow in the back of the boat. Like it gives us unnecessary like imagery, but yet it, it tells us something in that moment. For whatever reason, Luke decides to let us know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that Peter fell at Jesus's knees. You know, I've been a Christian for a long time now, and I've never heard one worship song about falling at Jesus' knees. Have you? Like, we fall down at Jesus' knees. No, that's like, that's not the song, right? It's always about his feet or anything like that. But so what is this about? I think in this moment in time where People are literally, I I think a time is coming. Malachi talks about it where, you know, God is going to come as a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. There's going to be a clearer distinction between those who follow God and those who don't. So you either fall on your knees or turn on your heels. But yet the struggle will be those people who fall on their knees, but at Jesus' knees and rather than his feet. What I mean by that is that there are people today that will respect Jesus for who he is, but won't go all the way to surrender to honor him as Lord. And I think it's in this moment, oftentimes it's because we feel unworthy, we don't want to pay the price, we're we're caught up in ourselves, we're caught up in what we want to do, so we'll give the respect that is due to Jesus because of a testimony maybe, a miracle even, like in this passage. But yet he's looking for people who go beyond that to say that he's Lord. But once again, the amazing thing about God is that he isn't intimidated by where Peter is at in this moment. In this moment, he meets him still in that place. And this is what Jesus says. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Can I be honest? I think 
There are times when I'm afraid to really trust God with everything I have because I'm afraid he won't come through for me. I, I, I was thinking about this even today, you know, where I was just really praying. You know, once again, the conference is what's really on my mind because we, we need some breakthrough, right? Like, I'll freaking give us a breaking net if that's what it takes, right? I remember just really praying, and I was just really coming to the Lord with boldness. And this is what I said. I said, I said God, if I have to make excuses on why promises haven't come through, then are you really faithful to your promises? Now, God didn't kill me. Thank you, Lord, for that. But, I mean, can, can we be honest? Like, we have to come to this place where I don't want to make excuses for God because he doesn't need me to. I don't know if I'm making sense. You know, and I was trying to imagine like a, a kid saying, you know, about his dad. My dad really wanted to come to my birthday party, but you know, he was so busy and he's telling like his seven-year-old kids and they're like, what? Just give us pizza. I don't care, you know? And, and I think for many of us, we kind of have accepted this lesser kind of faith and we're living at a lesser level of promises and breakthrough because we settle for making excuses for God rather than doubling down on what he said. And I think he's in this moment, he's asking us to do that. So once again, just to you know, invite you in behind the curtain to this ministry where we're like, you know, we're like, how many people are going to come to this gathering? Like, we really have no idea. But we're not doing this because, you know, it's, it's uh, a marketing scheme or, or anything like that. We're just doing it because we felt like God said it is time. Like, we can't wait on the sideline and try to make our own plans like, I, I, I know, you know, even going back to promises and words that God has spoken over my life and, and this ministry, and I'm sure even your life, to help you relate is the words that God has spoken over your life aren't going to come to pass because you're so clever. Like, it's not going to come because you're so strategic. It's not going to come because you're, you was able to get this idea and, and you had the right network and you met. No, like, it's just going to be God honoring what he said. And he's asking for people to not waver or make excuses or, or you know, even give him an out. I mean, think about this. You think God needs an out from us? Like he's wanting us to defend him? I mean, this is, I think, what Charles Spurgeon says about the word of God, but we could just say it about the nature of God is, you don't have to defend the lion. Just let it out of its cage. Right? And can we say that for the nature of God, the words of God, the promises of God, where he's asking us to double down, even if everything we've experienced was a failure, it didn't go as planned, it was hard, it was challenging. And it's in this moment where he still meets us because maybe we're feeling like maybe it was a fluke. Like maybe the good things that have happened was a fluke. And man, I, at the end of the day, I'm unworthy, I'm sinful, away from me. But Jesus' reassurance is, do not be afraid. Right? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then from there, he gives Peter a purpose and a calling of who he really is. And he says this, from now on, you will fish for people. Right? I think as we're navigating this, I think what we are challenged with is clarity of calling. Is clarity of purpose. Because if everything you're trying to do doesn't work, what do you question? Maybe I'm not called to do this. Right? Isn't that the first thing you think? Maybe I'm not qualified. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not the right person to do this. 
And yet Jesus comes and says, don't be afraid. This is what I've called you to. Oftentimes, you know, even for me, I'm looking for results to back up what God said. Right? Back to the first passage we read about Elijah. He's, if he wanted rain to uh, uh, qualify him of what he said, then maybe he would have waited forever. Maybe he would have gave up in the process. But, you know, even as, you know, we're gathered in here and, and, and it's not what we imagine. It's, it's like starting over again in a lot of ways where I'm not looking for results to give me confirmation of what God has said. I just need God to speak to me. I just need him to give me the calling, give me the purpose, give me the direction. Because what's Peter's heart? Hey, we have did this before. And, you know, it didn't work out. I mean, that's literally what he says. But if you say so, we'll do it. We'll do it. So I believe in this moment, I, I want to I wrap up with this thought. Is based on maybe this past year, you might be discouraged. You might be disappointed. You might be disillusioned. But will you still be a disciple? You might be discouraged. You might be disappointed. You might be disillusioned. You might feel displaced. I mean, I'm trying to think of all the DIS words. You might be dissed, right? I don't know. I'm trying to make up all the words I can. But at the end of the day, will you be a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Because look at what Peter does. He says, they pulled up their boats up on shore. Verse 11, they left everything and followed him. And we know that Jesus didn't explain everything that was to come. Even later on, he still doesn't, right? After Peter uh, denounces Jesus and he's restored, this is at the end of the Gospel of John, and, and even then he comes to Jesus and he's wondering, you know, uh, and Jesus says, you'll go where you don't want to go. You know, when you're older, someone else will dress you. And he's like, uh, all right, what does this mean? But what about him? What about that guy? He's like, dude, I'll do whatever I want with him, but will you follow me? At this moment, Peter doesn't understand all that is to come, all the amazing things that he'll see. Like, he doesn't know he's going to walk on water, but he doesn't know he's also going to sink, right? He doesn't know that he's going to see the resurrected Christ, but he, he um, doesn't also know he's going to denounce him before that, too. He doesn't know, I mean, tradition says that Peter ends up dying upside down on a cross out of his own volition. They were going to crucify him because they wanted to kill him. But he's like, wait, if you're going to crucify me, I mean, this is what Christian tradition said. He says, crucify me upside down because I'm unworthy to die the same way my Lord and Savior did. I mean, somewhere along that process, once again, he didn't have it all together because we know what Peter's like. We know he's going to fail multiple times along the way. But yet he still chose to be a disciple. Even in the face of discouragement, once again, disappointment, disillusionment, displacement, whatever it is, he still chose to leave everything behind and followed after Jesus. I think that's the call I want to make tonight for all of us here, from the youngest to the oldest. You know, whatever our experience was these past 12 months, 18 months, who knows what the next you know, even month has in store for us. I think in the midst of this, he's asking, if I tell you, will you say yes? 
will you still follow? So, Father God, I just want to pray for all of us here right now. Maybe 2020 felt like we were wandering in the darkness. That at night we were doing all these different things, everything we knew, knew what to do, and yet it didn't produce the results we wanted to. Plans changed, things crumbled down. It exposed so many things, but yet in the midst of it, God, we want to be those who still say yes if you tell us to do something. God, we'll be honest, there were moments where we wanted to quit, throw in the towel, where we just felt like falling at your knees was enough. But tonight, God, we want to double down and say, God, we give everything to follow you. We follow you. It didn't make sense. It was hard. We were struggling. We were stressed. We were afraid. But tonight, we're doubling down and saying, we will be your disciple, God. We fall at your feet. We push past our feelings exhausted all our options we're frustrated but we're still here we're still here I just want to invite you to stand to your feet as you feel led and let's just let's just make that our prayer however the Lord leads you let's just spend some time right now and just confess to him maybe you gotta repent maybe you gotta surrender maybe you're just saying God speak to me But whatever it is, let's just give him this time together in his presence. God, we're gathered here tonight, not because we have it all together. We have it all planned out. God, are we, if 2020 taught us anything, it it taught us that our plans don't matter because anything can change in a moment. But God, we're choosing to surrender to you and say, God, if you say so, we'll do it. We'll go where you want us to go. We just want to be your disciple. We might be disappointed. We might be discouraged. We might be disillusioned. We might be burnt out. We might want to quit. But God, I just see you honoring our mustard-sized faith tonight. That your faithfulness has it. Your holiness has it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness, God. Your mercy, Lord. Your faithfulness, Lord. We just want to follow you. We just want to follow you. God, I want to pray for my friends tonight, my brothers and sisters here, that you would give us clarity of purpose, that you would give us clarity of calling tonight.